Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Elveson with the Digital Education Podcast. And today I'm with Dini Van Pelt. Uh, she's president of Advance, senior fellow at Cardis, where I really got to know her, senior fellow at the Fraser Institute and board of directors of the Charlotte Mason Institute. And, and that's really what I want to talk about because you've written on Charlotte Mason. We've actually done a podcast on Charlotte Mason and um, some things that have really resonated me. And, and, and from that podcast, you even gave me a quote that um, education is atmosphere. And I've just been kind of thinking about that for the last few years since we had that conversation. But really where I wanted to delve deep, Dini, and really thank you for being a part of this, is what can we learn from Charlotte Mason? as we enter kind of this post-pandemic world, like what can we learn from her, from her work, from the schools that, that kind of follow her wisdom, advice, and, and, and understandings as we go into hopefully what is a better way of, of being and doing school? Wow, it's a great question. And thanks again for having me back, Eric. It's so good to be with you talking about issues and topics that are just so dear to my heart. Um, definitely post pandemic, Charlotte Mason's got something to teach us. Of course, she's a late 19th uh, century British educator. And you know, you can be thinking we're picking up a dusty old philosopher and trying to crank something from some wisdom from an old dusty place. But Truthfully, she's, she was responding to the education that was going on in her day, education that was marked by little factoids, snippets of knowledge. Think 1885 when she does her real major turning point lecture. At that time, education was very snippet focused. The teacher did lots of talking. The curriculum was narrow. There was a lot of time spent indoors. There was so little time to explore, to digest, to navigate. Um, and there were really few attentive encounters with beauty and, and with grandeur. And if you think about that, are there any translations of that context to today, two years after a lot of kids, certainly depending on which country you're in, at least a year spent in your bedroom um, or certainly online and closed off. Libraries were closed. We're sitting in front of digital devices. We're indoors a lot. The curriculum got narrow. So we are leaving kind of a desert period in education. And you've got a whole list of other areas that you, I know you can buttress what I'm just saying. So the parallels are, are similar in that sense, that we, in that time, Mason was hungry for something more for children, something broader, something much more enriching, something much more uh, encounters with other people, with places, with grandeur, with beauty. And I think we're hungry for that right now too, Eric, in our time. And that's why turning to someone who had some wise advice for that period, um, it's probably not a bad thing to do for the next 15 minutes or so. Well, that's incredible. You know, and so thank you so much. And so it, it, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and even as I do my own learning on Charlotte Mason, since you really introduced me to her, was, was really kind of this idea there are homeschooling, you know, co-ops that really build around her work there. I've, I've discovered a couple schools now in my own work that, that have built their schools based on her work. Um, 
But I think like, you know, when we look at all of the others, you know, all the other schools where we tend to, you know, they, they become bureaucratic, we try to solve problems, we try to, you know, answer all of these things with technical solutions. Like, how would you help them think about from, from these places of beauty and from some of what she's writing about and some of what you've discovered, how would you help them think about creating that, that place of beauty where people can kind of untangle a little bit what's happened, but then also rebuild for, uh, you know, for going forward? Exactly. And, and I mean, the good news is that I think Mason's insights correspond with the way that the world really works. They, they do transcend time and place. And you encounter beautiful schools in all kinds of places that you go, whether they say they're a Mason school or not. Some Mason schools might not be entirely beautiful places either. So it's really, it's the principles that I think anyone could look at and, and imagine themselves how they could apply it to their own educational context. And so some of the ones, some of Mason's insights about the way the world is, um, as it applies, especially to those of us interested in education, include these, these things. Remember, kids have, students have minds, they have souls or spirits, and they have bodies. They are whole. There's a lot of components. And so they have lots of needs that can be met, ought to be met in a balanced a variety of ways. Another key, I think, aspect, a key principle if you look at your students, look at a child even prior to coming into school, um, they're hungry. They have a voracious appetite. They have an ability to learn. So these are key things to remember. And you can, you can um, th their capacity is incredible to find meaning and to express themselves. So if that's a transcendent insight, that a child has so much capacity. Now we start to look at ourselves, what is the role of us as educators around that? You know, in fact, Mason summed it up quite simply. She said, children are persons. They're human beings designed to live and they wanna have life abundantly. They're designed that way. And we know that that is how they are. 1885, pandemic, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. These are transcendent things that we all know about children. So Mason says, start with that. And also remember that the giver of life is with us in this. If kids want life and need and are designed for life in, in all its abundance, that giver of life works with us. So as educators, as parents, how do we work cooperatively with that insight about the, the, the child as a person, and the fact that the giver of life is working with us in this. So what does that mean? Mm. Yes. It's all about life. Right. What does that mean? What does it mean? So Mason would say lots of encounters with beauty, lots of time, both indoors and out of doors. And I've started using her language out of doors as opposed to saying outdoors because we all say, oh, yeah, outdoor. Ed, we know what that is. Let's let's try to reimagine again. What is an out-of-doors life? What is a school that's oriented towards out-of-doors education? Not outdoor ed. You see that? It's like learning to kayak is different from an out-of-doors educational atmosphere. So that's a fun one. And then think about how can we give our students, our children, many teachers? In other words, 
A child doesn't just have 12 teachers if they, if they go to school for 12 years. How do we give them many teachers? Who's gonna work with me as an educator? How can I link arms with dozens and dozens of other educators in one year of a child's um, education? Well, put them in touch with real people who know real things. And we can do that in person, but we can also do it through books. And Mason develops this whole theory about living books. Not a textbook with pre-digested knowledge that a child has to then regurgitate. Real books written by real people with real passion and real insight and probably some great story about that area of knowledge. And suddenly knowledge and learning becomes not just tidbits of information. It becomes knowledge that's wrapped in story. It touches the child's emotion and it stimulates their interest. Okay, now I've linked arms with another teacher. And again, Eric, this isn't to say other school systems haven't done that or aren't currently doing that. The rise of the use of beautiful children's books in educational programs is all over. But Mason says do that and do that more because the child not, doesn't, to be educated, doesn't just need to know, they need to care. And it's through these encounters with beauty, in, indoors and out of doors, through many, many stories, through beautiful books, that's where they begin to understand who they are as a person. And ultimately what we're doing, Mason says, is we're building relationships. If you had to sum Mason up, you'd say, what does Mason say about education? She says education is the science of relations. Well, we love that term nowadays, relationships, relational. We love that. What does it mean? It means we're putting kids in touch, in relationship with basically three things, God, with other human beings, whether they live around us, we can physically touch them, or whether they lived in the past, or relationship with those that are following, give them imagination for that, and then relationship with the universe. Well, what's that? The natural world, scientific discoveries, build relationship. That has that, that's embodied in a story, in a care, in an awakening of interest. That's how Mason says we get after giving life more abundantly and, and, and respecting the child as a person. Okay, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> Help me think through this, because you get to work with a lot of school leaders. You get to interact with them in, in a lot of different ways. And we're kind of coming to an end of a school year where people are, you know, some are doing great. Some are just limping to the end. Um, what would be some things that you would give people based on those ideas, based on some of those thoughts, you know, the relationship, the science of relationships, what would you give people some thoughts on or some encouragements to as they rethink things this summer, as they even rebuild in a little bit themselves this summer? What would, what would, might be some individual or personalized, you know, encouragement, but then also what might be that corporate ex encouragement that says, hey, begin to think different about a couple things here as you go into next year? It's mm, beautiful. It's a great question. Fortunately, the answer is kind of simple. And I'm not trying to be simplistic, but if we can build in encounters with beauty, if we can create an environment in which our students, our children, whether we're homeschooling or educating within a school system, encounter beauty each day, we're giving them the abundant, the broad curriculum that they need. Think broad and don't think that you have to give them the bits that they need to take away. Give them encounters, 
they'll know what to take away. How do we do that? We fill our, our classroom and our lives and our, and, and our opening morning meetings with or our morning times with exposure to poetry, to art, to some of the beautiful words of scripture, just scripture read aloud, art shared, look at it. What do you see? Turn it over. What do you remember? Look at it again. What did you miss? What else do you see? What are you wondering about? Poetry, it's just use the words, the sweet, delicate, beautiful words of other thoughtful people from other times and places, maybe seasonal, um, uh, maybe topical, but other ways with a, with a touch of beauty that we're learning. And, and uh, so fill every day with touches of poetry, of music, of literature, of, of artwork. Fill every afternoon with exposure to nature. So start with the literary and, and visual beauty. Have lots of subjects during the day. Don't apologize if you move through things and offer them to students. Say, we're not going to flog this. We're just going to encounter it and we're going to move on to the next thing. Mason would have up to 20 subjects between nine and one o'clock in the morning for kids in middle, elementary school. Shouldn't apologize for that. You encounter it, you move on. Next thing, move on. Next thing, move on. And then we're going to spend a lot of unstructured time outside. And we're going to learn to pay attention. We're going to observe. We're going to learn the, the animals, the insects, the plants, the trees, whatever grows within a mile of where we live or go to school. We're going to build a relationship with that. And she has ways of doing that. So what do we as educators in the year 2022 or 23, how do we build the daily rhythm, the weekly rhythm? We don't apologize for encounters with beauty. We give students... Um, Lots of structure, we give them a beautiful environment, but we don't do it for too long. And then we give them freedom and we learn, we spend a lot of time out of doors. You can tweak that even within a highly mechanistic, structured cinder block building and, and a system where maybe you only have a student for so many minutes a day. You can still create an atmosphere that has some touches of those things. I think that's the hope of Mason's methods. They do transcend. Obviously, a purist would say, you know, it's got to be the whole, the whole school has to have a completely homey environment, a place where students feel very comfortable navigating the, not only their own classroom and learning spaces, but also navigating the larger building spaces that where educators are viewed as a guide more along the side, walking together in the wonder and the encounters with really great ideas and new things that we're learning. So you can obviously design a whole system around that. And, that's, and that could be just an incredible um, opportunity for someone who's hungry for something completely structurally different for next year. But I really think to go back to your original question here, the, the, this method, we can start it next week and we can, we can use touches of Mason's insights to change the way we live and learn together. Well, it's even like you're talking about, you know, before we started, even the beauty of your day today. And I asked you, what are you doing inside? Right. You know, but there is like, how do we even look at the beauty of the day that, that we're in and, and move into those places to continue the learning in a different way? Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask, and that's a, that's a little bit of an aside, but one of the questions I wanted to ask, and maybe this is the last question for, for today and, and continuation of this conversation for me, you know, over the years, but um, 
we talk about like what we do with, for, and what we create for the kids. And, and so often our schools don't build that and do that for the adults, mm-hmm. right? So you talk about the science of relationship and, you know, and you talk about, you know, um, having many teachers. Um, I find that teachers are incredibly isolated and we've set up systems of isolation. We've set up, you know, bureaucracies or structures on that that don't allow them to, you know, pursue wonder, pursue beauty, pursue the, the happen chance discovery that might come along the way. Um, what would be your encouragement to even school leaders to be able to say, hey, you know what, build the relationships to, with your teachers and for your teachers and create a community that, that, that also is trying to create this for students, but is living it out as adults. Um, do you have any suggestions for those school leaders who, who often feel like, yes, I want to do this in my school, but how do I do this for and with the adults that, that are with me in this process? It's a really great insight, Eric, that you're that you're offering through this question, and, and you're reminding me that when Mason set up her her program for teacher education, um, a student had uh, come to her and, and said, "You know, I, I'm I'm here to learn." Or the Mason said at the intake, "Why are you here?" And she said, "Well, I'm here to learn." Mason said, "Actually, you're here to learn how to live." And I talked just yesterday with someone who has completed educating for 27 years, homeschooled her five children, according to a Mason method. And she said to me, Dini, I know how to live. This isn't over. The Charlotte Mason education is not over. I know how to navigate the world because I've experienced a Mason education with my students. And I said, well, what what do you mean? She says, well, think about how I travel now, for example. This is a modest family, you know, modest means. Before I go, I'll study the geology. I'll make sure I know a little bit about the poetry and the historians of, of the place. I'll make sure I get a sense of the culture of the place that I'm going to. So that when I'm there, my eyes are open to the architecture, for example, of, of the place I'm, I'm attuned with. I may find I have artwork that I've learned to enjoy over the years. I can find my friends in this place, in the galleries, for example, or in the, in the, the, the museums, things that I've come to love and, and know, and here it is at this place. So she said to me, it's taught me how to navigate life as an adult. And Mason would say that too, that the education has to be as life-giving to the teacher as it is to the student. You are learning together. So when Mason, very practically, and I would encourage every teacher to do this, you know what you're after in your curriculum, change up what you study, change up your approach to it. Mason every year, certainly every four years, her curriculum rotated every four years, would have all new books that the students would use. And it's not saying she would throw out some of the dear formative classics that we all need to read to have shared common culture, but she was always on the hunt for new ways of saying things, new beautiful books, new artwork that was coming out, new scientific discoveries. So the teacher is looking and searching and uh, moving forward and growing with the student. That sense of interest and care and inquiry is shared. It transcends the classroom. 
In fact, after uh, I just found a quote about Mason talking about uh, this for a child, the selection of their first books is a matter of grave importance because it rests with these to give children the idea that knowledge is supremely attractive and that reading is delightful. Once the habit of reading books with delight is set up in a child, her education is not completed, but it's ensured. My girlfriend has not completed 27 years of educating. She's ensured a life for herself following this period. It's just so counterintuitive, but the life abundant comes to the educator as well as the student. Adini, this is incredible. And, and I, I'm digging deep and I want to ask you so many more questions, but for today, I just want to reaffirm. And, and I think it is that great encouragement as we step into the end of a school year and probably a new era in many ways of our profession. And, you know, it's, it's how do we learn to live, right? That, that, that is um, an incredible statement. And that'll be a huge encouragement to so many people, but then also our colleagues and our, you know, fellow educators in this work. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me today, Eric. It's always so good to talk with you.